It is good to be with you all this morning. And uh, as we begin, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you to, for the opportunity to gather, to, to sing to you, to sing your truths, to be reminded of your blood that, that covers our sin. We pray now as we come to your word that you would open up our hearts and our, our ears to receive what you would have for us this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. As I was uh, preparing this week for the, the sermon, I, I came across a news story that I thought was really fitting for this week. It was about uh, a man in New Mexico. This guy is in his mid-80s, and he's this eccentric millionaire art dealer. And uh, a few years ago, he decided that he wanted to hide a treasure box somewhere in the New Mexico Rocky Mountains. And so there, he put in this treasure box, it's filled with gold coins, gems, ancient artifacts, all said and told, he says it's worth about $2 million. And he's hidden it, and he's also written a memoir about his life, and in the memoir is a a poem. And the poem contains nine different clues about where this treasure box is hidden. And if you can follow the clues, then you can find the treasure. And over the last several years, tens of thousands of people have come from all over the world to try to find this hidden treasure. In fact, it was in the news recently because the sixth person had actually died looking for this treasure. They got up into the mountains, got in over their heads and, uh, and, and died from exposure. And so people are all up in arms. They're telling him, hey, you need to, to call off the search, tell people to stop looking for it. Some people doubt it even exists. They say he's a liar. He just made it up to sell books. And this 80 year old guy's like, no man, it's there. It's there. In fact, people have been really close. If you can follow the clues, It's there for the taking. And as I'm going down this rabbit trail, reading more stories and about this guy and reading about his life, I found myself thinking, let me get a look at these clues. Let's see, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I think I could figure this out. Let's let's cancel the family vacation. We're heading to Santa Fe this summer. I'm gonna find this treasure, right? A $2 million treasure, it, it could do some stuff in my life right now. And and I think the, the thought of, of finding hidden treasure, of, of finding something that in one instant could completely change your life, it, it stirs something in our imaginations, right? That's why we love shows like the, like the Antique Road Show or, or any of those treasure picking, hunting shows that are on cable TV. This idea of, of what if there's something in our basement or, or something hidden on our property, just collecting dust that's actually some priceless artifact just waiting to be discovered. Now, the, the two short parables that we're looking at this morning, it described two men who actually find the treasure. And when they find the treasure, they're willing to do whatever it takes to sell everything they have in order to get it. We've been looking at parables of Jesus over the last several weeks, and Jesus taught in, in parables, told these stories in order to communicate spiritual realities to us. And what Jesus is teaching in these two particular parables is that finding the kingdom of God is like having the life-changing discovery of finding a treasure box of gold. It's got this power to completely change your life, to completely reorient and reprioritize everything in your life. And what I wanna do this morning is is to look at, at three things that we need to recognize in these parables about the kingdom of God if we also want to experience its power and its potential in our lives. 
The three things are this. We need to recognize the hiddenness of the kingdom, the cost of the kingdom, and finally the value of the kingdom. First, the, the hiddenness of the kingdom. If you look at these two parables, the the treasure that these men find, it's not so much hiding in the sense that, that you need clues to find them or that you need a treasure map in, or, in order to locate it. The, the treasure is really hidden in plain sight. Right in the first one, the treasure that's hidden in a field. There, it doesn't seem like there's anything special or out of the ordinary about the field. In fact, it doesn't even seem like the man was looking for the treasure. He just kind of stumbles upon it. You know, wonder how many people had walked over that field before this man, before he's the one to actually find the treasure. In the same way, the the merchant, he's going about his normal business. The man's job was probably to go and find pearls um, and find good deals on them and then bring them back and resell them for a profit. So he's kind of a, a jewelry wholesaler. And he gets this batch of pearls and he's looking through them and he finds one that is more valuable, more precious, more rare than any other pearl he had ever seen before. But how many merchants before him had completely looked over that particular valuable one? It was right there all along, and yet it was hidden in plain sight. And the reason it's easy to be missed is, is we don't expect to find treasure in the ordinary, right? If you're going out to your car after the service, you don't expect to find a treasure box hidden in the field on Rudy Lane, right? You expect it to be hidden by some crazy art collector way out in the mountains that nobody can find. See, the kingdom of God in the same way, it's, it's easy to be overlooked because of its ordinariness. I think what happens is we hear about the power of the kingdom to, to change our lives, the impact that it can have. And we expect something that's this powerful, it's gonna smack us in the face, right? It's gonna come with a, a big bang, a, a grand announcement. But Jesus has told us over and over again that the kingdom, it's, it's different than that. It says the kingdom, it's like a, a mustard seed, this tiny little seed that you would never think would grow into a magnificent tree. It's like a little bit of leaven that you put in a batch of dough that causes all of the bread to rise. Kingdom's ordinary. It's inconspicuous. It's easily overlooked. And think of the way that, that Jesus comes into this earth, the way that he brings in the kingdom of God. He comes as an ordinary man. He spends his time with ordinary people. He ends up dying an ordinary criminal's death. And because of his ordinariness, he was overlooked by so many people, overlooked by the religious establishment, people that were expecting something bigger, something grander, something different. Or to take it a step farther, think of the the message of the gospel. What is the, the good news that Christians believe? Well, quite simply put, it's that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, God accepts you by his grace. Right, that's the gospel. If Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe in him, God accepts you by grace. And for the the vast majority of us in the room here this morning, this is not a a brand new statement, right? Some something, a version of that statement, it's, it's probably very familiar. Maybe you've been hearing it for years. And because of its familiarity, because it's ordinary, it can be very easy to overlook. You can miss the power. All right, I've seen this in my, 
in my own life. I had the, the privilege of, of growing up in a, a Christian home of a mom and dad who, who love Jesus. And I grew up being taught spiritual truths, the truths of the gospel, these very things. And I've been following Jesus um, for over 20 years now. And, and, I, and I find in my own life in these times of, of spiritual dryness that, that we all have, of times when God maybe seems a little farther off or the, the Bible is not coming alive like it used to, or, or my prayer life is, is just off. It's easy for me to think, you know what? I, I, need to, I need to find something new. I need to find something different, some, some deeper truth that I've never discovered before. Some technique that I've never tried that's gonna unlock this, this different thing in my Christian life. You know, I, I think about the, the, the simple truth of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. And it's like, yeah, I've known that since I was a little kid. It's too simple. I need something more. And the reality is just because it's simple, it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. What, what I need to do is not so much find something new as I need to go back to where I started, right? I need to, to go back to the center. I need to go to those simple truths and learn them in a new way, to press in deeper, see them from a different angle, to know more the, the love of God, his grace and his forgiveness, right? It's a danger to overlook the gospel. No, there's, there's treasures and riches that need to be mined there that are right in front of me and that are right in front of you. You know, maybe you're, you're here and you've been, been coming around church for a little while and kind of exploring Christianity and, and you come every week and kind of hear the sermon or, or sing the songs, and, and, but you're not necessarily experiencing this, this power of the kingdom. You're, you're waiting for some kind of monumental experience, some booming voice from heaven, something to be written in the stars. And if that's you, there's a, there's a chance that maybe you're missing it because that's not often how God works. Sometimes he works that way. Sometimes he, he, he draws our attention with something huge, but often it's in the small and in the ordinary, right? It's in those, those quiet nudges from the spirit as we're, we're reading something in the Bible, that calls us to turn to Jesus. Or it's in the, the seemingly coincidental or, or random encounters or conversations that we have with a friend or, or someone that we haven't seen for a while. And the conversation just seems to lead to Jesus and talking about faith. Or maybe there's a line on a song on a Sunday morning that, that all of a sudden some, some pieces got put together and you understand the gospel in a way that you never have before. Like these are the moments when, when the treasure, it's right there before you. It's right there. It's hidden in plain sight. Don't miss it. So first we need to see the, the hiddenness of the kingdom. The second thing we need to see is the cost of the kingdom. When these men, they, they find the treasure, right? they, they recognize it, they see it. It says that they went and they sold everything in order to get it. So the, the pearl merchant, he he sells his business, he sells his equipment, closes up his shop, lets his employees go. He, he's out of the pearl business, right? He sold everything he's got, liquidated it all to buy the treasure. Everything of value had to go. Now, some of the parables that we've been looking at over the weeks, they've been kind of long, kind of confusing. What, what is Jesus trying to say here? And, and this, this story is pretty straightforward. What Jesus is trying to communicate is pretty, pretty simple. But it's also pretty challenging. What he's saying in these parables is that if you want the treasure, 
If you want the kingdom, it's going to cost you everything you've got. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the famous missionary and and martyr, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it he says, "When, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There's a a sort of dying to ourselves that needs to happen if we're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus, he he himself says it more boldly than, than I think I would ever dare to. He says in Luke 14, verse 26, he says this about following him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus saying here? He's not saying that you should just go and hate your parents. What he's saying is that if you following Jesus is going to make your mom and dad mad and upset, then they're just going to have to be mad and upset. You still choose Jesus. He's saying if you've got a loved one or a family member, who's going to threaten to to cut off their relationship with you, if it's going to mean you following Christ, you still choose Jesus. If it's going to cost you your life, you choose Jesus. Do you have to literally go and sell everything that you've got? Probably not, right? Some people may. You think of the Spears who are going to go to Spain. They're literally going to sell all of their possessions to go and tell people about Jesus in Spain. What Jesus is saying here is if you want to follow me, it means everything is on the table. Everything is on the table. Being in the kingdom means that you've got to be willing to put your time, your money, your energy, your decisions, your preferences, your desires your relationships, they all go to the foot of Jesus. They all come under the authority of King Jesus in his kingdom. There's nothing in your life that he can't touch and have the final say over. It's challenging, right? For many people, they hear this and the cost is, is just too high. Right? It's too much to fathom letting somebody else, even if it is God, say, here's what you have to do with your life. Here's what you're going to do. It's just not worth it. And so people shrink away. They don't want to follow Jesus because they want to rule their own lives. I think what often happens within the church is that we want the treasure, but we don't really want to sell everything in order to get it. Right, and so, so what we do is we kind of say, hey, Jesus, you can have everything. You can have all of me, but, but these couple things in my life, I, I need to hold on to them. Right, I'll, I'll give you my, my time and, and my money and my energy, but, but over here, don't, don't mess with my career. Right, I know the direction that I want to go in. You say, hey, I'll, I'll give you my relationships. I'll give you these things, but, but don't, don't make me rethink this. Right? And this can be any sort of thing. Well, what happens is I, I think we, we try to hedge our bets with Jesus. This idea that hedging your bet is, is you, you, you see something that's gonna be, be a sure win. It's gonna give you a, a lot of profit. And so you're, you're gonna put a lot of money towards it. But 
in case you're wrong, in case you got it wrong, you're gonna make a side bet against yourself. That if it doesn't work out, I'll still be okay. And so I think we do that. And we have these different things. And so, so you might be here this morning and, and you hear about the, the kingdom and, and you don't experience the power of the kingdom. You don't experience the, the joy or the fruitfulness that comes. And, and then maybe there's, there's something you're holding on to. There's something that you're not willing to lay at the feet of Jesus. There's something you're not willing to sell. So one of the questions this morning is, is what is it for you? Maybe it's a, a relationship that you really don't want Jesus to speak into. Maybe there's someone that, that you know that you should go and, and reconcile with or, or stop being bitter towards. And you really just don't want Jesus to, to speak into it. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your job. Maybe, maybe it's whatever. And what I've found over the years of pastoring is that whatever that thing is, that's the thing that Jesus wants. Right? You, can, you can give him everything else, but whatever it is right here, I'm gonna hold on to this. That's the place he's gonna keep poking. That's the place that he's not going to let go of. And the reason is not because he's, he wants to take everything away from you, it's because he wants your heart. He knows that thing you're holding on to, it's, it's the gateway to your heart and he wants it all. There's a cost involved to get this treasure. And the cost of following Jesus, it can be overwhelming. The sacrifice can seem extremely great. It can seem too much. And it would be, except for one really important detail that's in this parable that makes all the difference. If you look again at Matthew 13, 44, the, the first parable, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. The man, he sells everything. He puts everything on the table, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, not because it was just the, the right thing to do. He does it in his joy. He's thrilled to do it. Right, he's selling all the things that he has. And I'm sure the, the people around him are like, what are you doing? You're being crazy. And he's just kind of giggling to himself because he knows the treasure that's gonna be his once he's able to buy this field. He recognized the value of the treasure. See, it wasn't really a sacrifice to these guys to sell all that they had because they knew what they were gonna receive. Right? What's giving up a hundred grand in possessions when there's a billion dollars waiting for you in return. That's not a sacrifice, it's a deal. Right, the, the cost can seem overwhelming, but only if you don't recognize the value of the treasure. Right, you think of the, the great missionaries and the, the martyrs of the church throughout the years, people who, who gave up everything they've got, who gave up wealth or security or reputation, some of them even their very lives. They gave it all. And we should admire them and, and appreciate them. But the last thing we should do is feel sorry for them, right? They don't wanna be felt sorry for because they got the treasure. They were happy to give it all up because of what they received in return from following Jesus. Well, my wife, Jackie, she, she loves musical theater. And uh, we've been married for, for 10 years now and uh, she's kind of converted me over we go see, uh, see musicals fairly often. 
And for the last two years, my wife has been obsessed with the musical Hamilton. And I hesitate to say obsessed because I don't know if it's a strong enough word. (laughs) She knows every song. She knows every word to every song. She knows all the people that are in it. She has been enthralled with this musical. And if you don't know anything about the musical Hamilton, it's a musical that tells the story of of Alexander Hamilton and the founding fathers to the music of hip hop and R&B, right? It's It's an unlikely combination, but this musical has basically become the most popular musical ever. And because of this, um, all the shows are sold out for quite a while. It was just in a couple cities. If you could get a ticket, it was two or 300 bucks a pop, and it was only in a couple cities throughout the country. And so going to see the musical Hamilton was not in the, the fiscal budget for the Lapina family at the time. Well, this fall, I, I, get, a, I get a call on a, on a Tuesday afternoon from a, a frantic and very excited wife. And as she's on the phone kind of hyperventilating and I'm like, what is, what is going on? She tells me that she has won two tickets to go see Hamilton. She had, had literally won the lottery to get second row tickets to a show in Chicago. And so she's telling me this, she is, she's thrilled. She's out of her mind, excited. Um, now, now the contest that she won, it was kind of meant to be a local contest because the tickets that she won were for the following day at the matinee, the matinee show. So she's like, we've won these tickets. So we've got 24 hours for me to clear my schedule, for us to book a hotel room in Chicago, to find somebody to watch the kids, to drive to Chicago and get ready to see this show. Now, how do you think the discussion went of if it was really worth the time and energy to go see? There was no discussion, right? We're going to see the show. And so fortunately, I've got a great job. I've got a good boss. He said, go, go see it. Uh, be, be your wife's hero. We drop everything. We uh, cash in the chips with the grandparents for a last minute overnight stay. We drop them off in Cincinnati, 14 hours of driving. And a couple of days later, we had seen the musical Hamilton. And it was great. And I, I, I dare you to go and ask my wife, was it worth it? Was it worth everything, all the trouble it took to get up there? Of course it was worth it. Of course it was worth it. Yeah, it cost a lot. It, was, it, was, it, it took a lot to get there, but the reward so far outweighed the cost in order to get it. See, the, the reward of the kingdom is so great that giving up everything to get it, it's, it's not a sacrifice, it's a joy. You're excited and thrilled to do it. Life in the kingdom of God is a reward of immeasurable value. There's no way to put a price tag on it. And so I think that the natural question is, well, well, what's so great about it? What's so great about the kingdom? And I think there's so much that we could say about the value of following Christ and, and it couldn't possibly exhaust its riches in one sermon, let alone a third point. But I, I wanna give you three things, three things that make the kingdom so incredibly valuable that it would be a joy to sell everything to get it. Jonathan Edwards, in his very first sermon that he ever preached, he was 18 years old, and he preached a sermon called Christian Happiness. 
And in it, he had his three points describe the kingdom's value. His first point was this. He said, our bad things will turn out for good. First thing, our bad things will turn out for good. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Life's hard, amen? Right, there is a lot of bad things in this world and in our lives. We're bombarded with it every single day. There's brokenness, there's pain, there's suffering in our own lives and the lives of people we love. We struggle with our sin and the sins of others. But Jesus, he makes this incredible promise about his kingdom where he reigns and where he's in charge. He says our suffering and our sin, it doesn't have the final say. It doesn't win in the end. Jesus ends up winning. And Jesus goes even further. He says, I'm not just going to get rid of all these things. I'm not just gonna get rid of the sin and the pain and the brokenness in this world. I'm actually going to work all of it together for your good. I'm gonna take these broken things and I'm gonna do something glorious with it for your good and for my glory. He tells us our, our lives are like this, this beautiful mosaic that's being created. That, that if you get up really close to a mosaic uh, piece, of, piece of art, the, the pieces look jagged and edged and, and they seem kind of random and meaningless. Because up front, you don't have the perspective of the artist. You can't zoom out far enough to see the beautiful picture that is being made. And the reality is for many of us, we can't see the mosaic that is being made for us by Christ. We can only see a little bit. And so sometimes we have the the luxury of seeing how God works things out together for our good a few years down the road, but oftentimes we don't. But the promise is there. It's going to be something beautiful. I'm working all things for your good. Secondly, it says, Jonathan Edwards said, "Our, our good things can never be taken away from us. There are are precious promises that are found in the gospel, promises that Jesus has made in his word about his kingdom that are ours when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning, you you walk around life and you're weighed down with guilt. You're haunted by the the sins of your past, the failures that you've, you've had in your life. And Jesus says that in me, you're forgiven, truly forgiven that your sins have been been removed as far as the east is from the west, that you don't have to carry that around any longer, that Jesus Christ, he he justifies us. He he looks at us and declares us righteous, that God looks at us and sees perfection. Some of you this morning, you're you're lonely. You're you're insecure. You don't know if you belong or, or what your place is in this world. And Jesus says, you know what? You know what your place is? You're you're adopted. You're adopted into my family. Trust in me and you become a son or a daughter of the king. Or you wanna know what your place is in this world? You're royalty. You get everything that the father has. He's going to share his inheritance with you. Or we have peace with Christ. That we're no longer at odds with the one who created us. Instead, we're at peace peace with God, and we can have peace with each other. The older I get and the more 
more we experience life, like how much would we just love some peace? Or how many of your lives seem so tumultuous or so filled with conflict or turmoil? And you, you can have some peace. We go on. Jesus is, is interceding for us. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for us, reminding him of what he's done to secure our salvation. He's given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit to, to guide us and to lead us, to comfort us, to give us security and confidence that all these things are true. All these promises he made are real. And the Bible teaches that all these beautiful things that are ours in Christ, they can never be taken away. There's nothing that this world or that your sin can do to touch them or to remove them. That they are yours, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. All right, think about that. Think about what would it look like to just to press into these truths? What would it look like to, to regard the value of, of, of what Christ has done? What, what if this week you spent 15 minutes each day just, just thinking and pondering, finding verses about the promises of God around your own forgiveness? As you wrote down the implications of what it meant that you were truly forgiven. That, okay, I can, I, can, I can let this failure go. I don't have to let this sin define me anymore. I can ask for forgiveness from this person. I can extend forgiveness to this person. Right? How much would our, our lives change if we just pressed into these? The, the third thing that makes the kingdom valuable is that the best things are yet to come. All that we have in Christ, all of these precious promises are just a foretaste of what's to come in eternity. Right, Jesus, he teaches that the kingdom that he, he brings, it's, it's here, but it's not quite fully here. And that a day is coming when he will, will bring it into perfection and into fullness. And we will spend eternity with God. The joy and the peace and the love that we get to, to experience a little bit, we'll have it fully. There will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering. No more death. We'll know God, our creator. We'll be his people and he will be ours. That's the great hope that we have at the end of our lives is that we get to live on forever with God. Our best days are not behind us, but instead they're ahead of us. So think of these just three things Three things that we have in the kingdom are bad things will turn out for good. The good things you have can never be taken away and the best things are yet to come, right? This is, this is what's offered. This is what life with Jesus looks like. Do you see how incredibly rich this treasure is, right? What would it be like to live in the reality of, of those three truths day in and day out, to, to live with confidence that those things are, are as true as the sun rising every day, right? What would you give to have that kind of confidence and peace and joy in your life? You'd give everything, right? You'd give everything. Yeah, it, it costs everything. Following Jesus is going to cost a lot. It's going to stretch you in ways that you never thought. But in the end, if this is what you get, what are you really giving up? I mean, what else are you gonna do? What else are you gonna give your life to? I mean, think about this. If, if those are the three things you get in the kingdom, what's the alternative? 
What are the three things of the kingdom less life? If in the kingdom, all the bad things work out for your good outside of the kingdom, all the bad things stay bad and they haunt you and they go with you. I mean, outside of the kingdom, how do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with the pain and the brokenness? How do you deal with sin in your own life? You can't. There's no recourse. Right? In the kingdom, the, the good things can never be taken away, but outside the kingdom, the good things we have, they decay and they fade. Right? If you're living for something besides the kingdom, what, what are you living for? A bigger bank account? A better office? A better career? A, a legacy with your, your family? Those things decay, they fade, they become forgotten. The book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying within men's Bible study, it says that that stuff's a, it's smoke, it's vapor. If all you have is this life, it's a, it's a chasing after the wind. Right outside the kingdom, the best isn't yet to come. Right, death is yet to come. That, there, there's not hope there. Right, there's, there, there's a bleakness to the alternative of the kingdom. But these are our options. And Jesus says to us, no, no, I, I've got another way. I, I've got something better than what this life has to offer, than what this world offers you. Come into my kingdom. Yeah, it's going to cost you everything you've got, but it's more valuable than anything you could ever hope to have in this world. How can we be sure? How do we know Jesus is going to come through on his promises? What assurances do we have? The assurance we have is this, is Jesus, he backs it all up. He says, hey, give up everything you have to, to get me. He says, I'm going to give up everything that I have. Going to the cross costs Jesus everything. He gave up his life so that we could have this treasure. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we should look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus, he gave up everything for us. He endured the cross and its shame and all of its awfulness. Why? It says, for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? What was the joy set before him? What did, what did he not have before he went to the cross that he got after he went to the cross? It was us. It was you and it was me. Jesus looked at his people and said, you're the treasure. You're the pearl of great price and I'll give everything I have in order to secure your salvation, to bring you into a relationship with me. He gives it all up. And he does it with joy. He does it gladly because he loves us so much. And now he says, I've given up everything to have you. Come, come to me, be in my kingdom, follow me. So as we close this morning, the invitation is to, to press in. Right? Don't miss the treasure. Don't miss the, the reward that is right before us that is in Jesus Christ. Let's press in to know him to obtain the pearl of great price.
As we come to the, the communion table, we remember each week that Jesus' body, it was broken and his blood was shed. And, and every week we, we have this opportunity to remember, to, to press in deeper into the truths of the gospel, to get to, to gaze once again at the treasure of knowing Jesus and being able to follow him. It's a chance for us to, to kind of to dust off the treasure, to polish it up, to look at it from another angle, to come and to take the bread and to dip it into the juice or, or the wine and remember that, that Jesus has done everything. And our response is to, to follow him and to know him. And so I wanna invite you, if, if, you're a, if you are a follower of Christ, to, to come forward, to take part, to be reminded once again of what Christ has done. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the invitation is not to take part in communion, but to, but to pursue the treasure, to dig in, to go to Christ who offers you life and life to the full. Let me pray.